Father, we give you thanks for another Sunday morning together to come together and to engage in worship, to give you our best, for you are worth it and worthy of it. Father, as we give to you, I pray that you would take it and multiply it and that you would give us who have responsibility over it to use it wisely, simply, but for the furtherance of the gospel. We thank you for your provision. We pray your blessing over it. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would give us humble hearts to receive, maybe parts of the passage that might get a little bit difficult and confrontive. Father, I pray that you would, one, help me to always preach uh, truth, but drenched in grace, but give us teachable hearts, God, and then conviction, not guilt or shame, but conviction on what needs to change in our lives in order that we're obedient, living the life that you've called us to live. God, we want to be submissive to your word, submissive to you, obedient, because I really do believe two things, obedience, you deserve our obedience, and two, blessing comes with it. So God, help us, help us to hear you, reveal truth, I pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. <clears throat> in Colossians chapter 3, we're starting here in verse 20, and I think it's every parent's favorite verse. I think this is one of them. It's like every parent at some point, you just wanted to scream this out to your children. It says this, children, obey your parents in everything. Amen. Parents, can I get an amen? There it is. And it sounded a little exhausted, so maybe this is the one you're sitting there going, why don't we bring the children in for today? Like that thing, Brian, will you just unload on our children? No, probably, well, a little bit, but not a lot. But it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, this idea of children honoring their parents was unanimously agreed upon by the Jewish people, by the Greco-Roman culture, and expected to obey at least was, and they were expected to obey at least until they grew up and became an adult. Now, when that was, there's all these different opinions as to when. Think about it. In the Jewish culture, a 13, when a, when a boy turned from 12 to 13, he was considered a man. Wow. That, that's different. That's a different time. A 12-year-old girl is now a woman and can be married. So 13s and 13 and 12-year-olds can get married. And they're, and they're like, yes, finally. Maybe, this, maybe, maybe students today would say, go, we should go back to biblical times. No, not yet. Let's try to figure out what love is before we just jump into that junior high love. Different time, I get it. Uh, for the Romans, 18 was the day that a person turned into an adult. Isn't it weird if you just hit the age, you must automatically become an adult? So 17, I'm acting the same way, the day 364, and then day 365, boom, 18, man, all man. Because I don't know that it's based upon an age, but maybe it's a stage. And maybe one kid will mature more than the other, but when you get to the beginning parts of it, it's children obey your parents in everything. Why? Because this pleases God. Now, when Paul brings this up, it's not a new concept for parents. They all believed it. And so he states it again, but he's bringing up the Old Testament. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 because he opens it up a little bit more. And I think it's important when we read passages like this. So we talked about marriage for the last two times we were in Colossians together. And you'll see it mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3. When it's repeated throughout the scriptures, you need to pull back and go, okay, God, what, like, what, what are you teaching? How am I supposed to apply your word to my life rather than trying to change your word to fit my preference? 
So again, we're looking at passages about parents and children, and it's repeated in different places in the Bible. And so he said, and go, okay, God, how do I apply this? And he said, and go, well, the children part, this is, uni- this is universal. Of course it is, but then we're going to get to the parents part. So hang in there. It's like, you're all for it now. Let's hope we're all for it after this, okay? So for the kids, he says this in chapter six, verse one of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why is it right? Because it pleases the Lord, according to Colossians chapter three. And then he quotes the Old Testament, and not just the Old Testament, he quotes from the 10 commandments, and he says this, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now, doesn't it just seem like maybe Paul's just... Do you ever wonder when Paul brings up things like this, is he, is he realizing that maybe not everyone's a Christian? That maybe not every home is Christian? That maybe not every parent is Christian? Guys, I'm convinced that he knows this, but remember when he's in Ephesians and Colossians, he's actually writing to Christians. And so he's writing from this understanding. He's saying, hey, kids who are Christian and parents who are Christians, hey, here's what we're supposed to do in our families. And then there's this addition in the Lord, which implies that both of them are Christians. But then he mentions this first commandment with a promise. Now look at it again. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That if, children, if you obey your parents, that it may go well with you and you will live long in the land. So doesn't it sound like if kids will obey their parents, God is promising long life for the kid? Isn't that what it sounds like? And how often has that been stated? That's the meaning. So if you obey your parents in the Lord, you'll live a really long time. And yet one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, that I ever have to do, as a pastor is the funeral for a parent or a group of, or a couple who have lost a child, no matter how old the child was. That's one of the hardest things, or to walk through it with the family, because there's no answers So in the question of why, I don't know how to answer it. So a lot of times I honestly just sit and listen and I keep praying and God, is there something that you want me to say? Because there's not always something that he wants me to say. And so he's just kind of like, be quiet. And then I think of something later on on the way home. It's like, oh, that would have been really great. But maybe the Holy Spirit's like, that would have been really great, but maybe four weeks from now. That's why I kept you stupid in the moment. I don't want you to say that yet. But one of the hardest things to do is to walk through death of a child, no matter how old they are, with a family and try to work through and and to do what I can to encourage them. Man, don't give up on Jesus. Keep going, keep going. Because isn't it weird? It just doesn't feel right when that happens. I think every parent would say this. All parents are supposed to outlive their kids. Isn't that what we feel like? It's supposed to be like that. But for some reason, we... It doesn't work out like that. And so is the word of God sitting there going, hey, this is where the word of God's not true. Is this this God making this promise that he can't fulfill? Or have we maybe been reading it wrong? Maybe it's not this individual promise for every single person for longevity, but maybe it's this cultural promise of a society and its stability. So instead of me reading it personally and just going, okay, so if I obey my parents and I get to live a long time, what if I read it as part of the community and I say, hey, if children obey their parents, there will be societal stability within that society and that is always positive for the longevity of that society. Do you see the difference? 
See, at no point, I don't, I don't believe that God says every kid gets to live to this age. In fact, what I think scripture teaches is that God has ordained our days. He knows how long we're going to live. And some for a shorter amount of time and some others for a, a longer amount of time. But it's not about the length of time, but about the quality of life in which we live our years and our days. So I don't believe that this is a passage or this is a promise that says, obey, you get 90 years. You get 112 years. I think this is saying as a whole, our society will, will live long and be healthy when we have kids that obey their parents. And I feel like maybe we live in a culture and a society where maybe the idea of parenting, at least for some, uh, people look upon parents and go, okay, they can be secondary, but people know better than the parents. So friends, if you're, if I get this, I know there's a lot going on and a lot of pressure on kids to learn certain things that you kind of sit and go, I'm not about that. Can I just encourage you? Remember we went through the book of Daniel? Back when we were outside, you had to bring your own chairs wearing masks, kind of. Remember, the cream of the crop youth were taken to go back to Babylon and then went through a three-year process, a three-year training education time where their names were changed. It never mentions that their parents are around. Their names were changed. They were taught things of the occult, of demonic worship and demonic practices. And yet Daniel outlasted three different administrations from three different countries. And he stayed faithful to God. Parents, let me encourage you. The same God back then, the same God of the parents who lived in Corinth in the first century when the church was starting, is the same God of today. You be intentional. You be intentional. You pray. In fact, I would, I would guess this. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw myself out there and see whether or not I'm going to be right. For those of you who are older and your, your kids have kind of moved out or they're on the older scale and they start to move out, for those of you that have, you look at your kids going, okay, we've seen some really hard times. Man, things are seeming like they're going pretty well. You had some successes as well as defeats. How many of you older parents would sit there and go, the key, the key to your kids, the key to raising your kids, first and foremost, this sounds like such a Christian answer, but I'm pretty sure that they would raise their hands with tears, is to pray. Anybody? You pray, you pray your heart out. You pray all the time. Why? Because don't you parents feel like you're just guessing? You ever, it's like, what are we supposed to do? I don't know, what's it saying here? What's it say? Oh, it doesn't say when they're supposed to date or if they're supposed to date or when can they drive or when can they not drive and what do I do if they disobey and they, they go out too late and what about a curfew? Can they have a curfew? Can we have an allowance? No allowance. How, I don't know what I'm doing so God, would you give me help because I'm clueless. And we don't want to screw up our kids. First and foremost is to respond to the children, just obey your parents and the Lord. And then it gets on to fathers. It doesn't mention moms, so this is where all the moms can sit there and go, uh, elbow, elbow, listen, listen up, dads. Here it goes. Fathers, do not provoke your children, verse 21, lest they become discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I have a question for you. Parents, you ever notice how different your children are? I mean, just completely different right? And they, they came mostly from the same place, from the same process. 
and there they are. And you just kind of look. And so here's an example. I'm not going to say which one is which, but I remember I walked, down the, I walked down the hall one day and I can see both boys' bedrooms. And so I took a picture of both of their rooms because one was horribly messy and the other one was picked up. I'm not going to say who is who. Maybe come up and talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you, but not here. Not, I don't want to publicly embarrass, but I'll do it privately. So, so I, I just have this perfect shot of both. One's clean, the other one's just like, it's like the, the closet vomited. It just couldn't hold it in anymore. And so I just took one picture and then I took the other. I just, this is all I did. I didn't move except to twist. And so then I sent it to Kelly. I said, Kelly, these are, the, these are our children. We've raised them in the same house, same standards, same ideas of what we should do. And this looks so different. And then I sent it to both of the boys. And I said, what, what do you see as the problem here? And then I went to take a shower. While I'm in the shower, one of them comes walking up. He goes, Dad, I'm going to go clean my room. I said, well, okay, why? I didn't know it looked that bad. And then he just walks off. <laughs> and yes, I believe in passive-aggressive parenting at times because it seemed to work. But he just kind of sit there and goes, it's so different, right? And so dads, and so far, we're just talking about dads so far. You got more than one kid. You don't get to parent them exactly the same way. I think this will go for parents, moms and dads. It's not like, well, they have different personalities. They're not identical. And so, yes, I get to parent from my perspective and my personality, but I have to figure out which one of them I can joke with this much and this much. How do I connect with this one? Because what I do with this one might not connect with this one. Instead of me provoking them to frustration, saying, this is who I am, suck it up, we're going to move forward. Aren't you thankful that our Heavenly Father doesn't parent us that way? And if God is our example, as our father, to be a parent who loves kids well, when I look at him and realize that he approaches me based upon who he has made me to be, not just who he is, but he will come to me, knowing my personality, my weaknesses, and the things that I struggle with, and my victories, and the things I'm excited about, and the things I struggle with, he will come to me individually because he knows me. And we may say, well, I'm, I, I'm not God. I can't know my kids like that. But here's the thing. We get to try. We get to invest and spend time. But not to the point where we just provoke them. That word provoke means to make resentful, to stir up embitterment or to irritate them. And so the way that we speak to them is so important. But does this, now why just talk to dads? Like, are moms off the hook? Moms never do this. Moms never provoke their children. Of course not. Of course you do. So why is he only talking to the guys? Well, guys, we need to remember the culture in which, what, in, in which Paul is writing. It's important. The culture of the Bible is important so that we understand how to apply it appropriately. So this is not the, hey, dads, pay attention because you all suck because the moms are really what's supposed to be happening. Guys, we kind of live in a culture, and I, I really don't try to be overly sensitive about things, but it's almost like dads Ah, optional. Mom's good. He's going to go, well, explain it. Guys, you ever notice on TV, the doofus of the family a lot of times is the who? The dad. He's sitting there and go, well, is it fitting? Well, maybe sometimes, but I don't think all the time. And here is the church. We want to make sure that we're growing as men who are willing to lead our homes well. And that in our marriages, hey, wives are loving husbands and respecting husbands. And husbands are loving and respecting wives because we actually believe in one another. We're, we're encouraging one another in this growth. Not, hey, there's one great parent and then doofus is running around all over there. 
Guys, I feel like there's an attack. And I don't, I don't like it and I don't agree with it, but in this culture, guys, and when I quote people, when I quote scholars, it's not because you should know who they are. I'm reading these things. I just want to give them credit for the work that they've done. But they're brilliant. I go to them to learn these things. And so why only mention the dads? Well, watch. A scholar by the name of Craig Keener, and I use him a lot, he says this, children were often taught through beating, which was standard in child rearing and education. Fathers were considered responsible for their education. Paul is among the minority of ancient writers who seem to disapprove of excessive discipline. Then he goes on to further explain. Greek and Roman society was was an even harsher on newborn children. Because an infant was accepted as a legal person only when the father officially recognized it, babies could be abandoned or, if deformed, killed. Early Christians and Jews unanimously opposed both abortion and abandonment. There was this, there was this concept that was just kind of universally accepted in the Roman Empire especially. It was called the Patriot Potestas, and it means the father's power. In other words, the father had complete, absolute power over everything in the family. Whatever the father said went. You did not argue. But it started from the very beginning. So, I mean, picture it. The dad got to decide from the very beginning whether the child got to stay in the house or be abandoned or killed. This is how it worked. Baby's born. The baby's placed at the feet of the father. If the father stood, stooped, and lifted up the baby, it meant and acknowledged that he wanted to keep it. However, if he, if he turned and walked away, It meant that he refused to acknowledge it and the child could be thrown out. Guys, that's the absolute power. So can you see why all of a sudden Paul's sitting there and this isn't Jewish people he's speaking to. These are Gentiles. Can you see why all of a sudden Paul's going straight for the jugular of the dads? Dads, don't provoke your kids. Guys, I I found this letter written 1 B.C., the husband's name was Hilarion, and, to, and his wife's name was Alice. <clears throat> Guys, listen to what it, it sounds like a text message, like an update, an email, like a phone call. Just kind of, how's your day, and this is what's going on, and I'm working hard, and da 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 Listen to what he continues to say, though. He says this, Hilarion to Alice, his wife, heartiest greetings, and to my dear Burus and Apollinarian, who I, I don't know who they are. Know that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you, I'm I'm sorry, I beg and beseech of you to take care of the little child, and as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If, good luck to you, you have a child, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. You told Aphrodisius to tell me, do not forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you therefore not to worry. He even gets romantic at the end, right? You, right? Hey, this, this, I don't, whatever the name was, Aphrodisius. Yeah, you told him that maybe I'll forget. I won't forget you, baby. No, no, no. You're on my heart. Isn't it amazing? He got all tender with his wife right after he said this. If it's a boy, let it live. And if it's a girl, throw it out. Because I look at that, I go, What? Guys, I have a conviction that as time, as long as time has been, there's always been this attack on women and children. You sit there and go, why? 
Some would say, oh, it's the men. No, I'm not going to go there. Here's why I think that it is. I do believe it's a spiritual thing. And this is my conviction, that women, you are the pinnacle of God's creation. And so why would the enemy not, why would the enemy not attack the pinnacle of God's creation? And your kids? Guys, you ever read the New Testament? You see the Gospels? Do you ever see how much Jesus loved kids? I think it was in this last week's reading, or maybe it was the week before, where all of a sudden parents are getting their kids, they're starting to run to Jesus, and the disciples stop them all. And it says that Jesus became irate. Guys, you want to tick Jesus off? Keep little kids from coming to him. Like he, I don't picture irate as like, guys, come on. I picture him screaming at his disciples and says, no, no, you let them come to me. Why? Because to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. And then you'll see him pick him up. Guys, can you imagine what that kid felt like to be picked up by God? And he's just holding him. He's like, okay, I want you to understand my heart for kids. It's okay. What's it like? It's like this. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble and to sin, what's it better? It's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you thrown into the middle of the sea than for me to get a hold of you. Dang. God has this place in his heart for kids. Women, you're the pinnacle of his creation. Why would the enemy not go after the pinnacle and the quote-unquote the favorites? And is it still happening today? Another scholar that I read a lot, William Barclay, says this. It was the custom that unwanted children were left in the Roman forum. There they became the property of anyone who who cared to pick them up. They were collected at night by people who looked after them in order to sell them as slaves or to stock the brothels of Rome. And so from the very beginning, here's this father going, I get to decide whether or not I want you. And if he keeps the kid, he could sell them as slaves. He could make them work the fields, even in chains. He could punish as he liked and could even inflict the death penalty. So again, do you see the context of why it is that Paul would look at, he would, Paul would write, fathers, do not provoke your children. Don't irritate them. Yes, I know that you have ultimate authority in your house. And do you realize that this power that the father had over the family lasted the child's entire life? Even when they grew up and had their own kids, that father still had ultimate authority. You say, well, maybe this is just the culture's attitude in like the, like the barbaric areas, the backwoods. Friends, there's this man named Seneca he was a Roman author, playwright, orator. He was super well-known. I mean, world-renowned at the time, at least Roman world-renowned. He was also the mentor and tutor, uh, tutor to, the, to the emperor Nero. When I read about him in, in the, world, the World History Encyclopedia, he was, he was termed or given this term of, he's a man of high principles. And then listen to what this man of high principles says who then had the ear of the most powerful man on the planet. He said this. He said, we we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into sickly cattle lest they taint the herd. Children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. He had the ear of the emperor of the Roman Empire, known as a man of high principles. And yet to look at a 
child who's quote unquote weakly or deformed to then say, what do we do with them? Drown them. Can you see why Paul is saying fathers? Not because moms don't ever provoke their kids, but because dads in these places of ultimate authority, many of them took advantage of it and became tyrants. You sit there and go, man, I cannot believe how ruthless they were back then. Are we really all that different today, friends? From 1973 to 2020, 63 million plus babies were aborted. 60, over 63 million. Now, as I bring up this topic, I understand it's a hot topic. But friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up anyways. But I also know that it's personal for maybe some in the room, if you're here now or if you're listening online later or watching late, later, I know that maybe for some, maybe you had an abortion and it's what, it's what plagues you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it still plagues you. And so I'm going to ask is just for a second, just hang in there with me. And for those that aren't followers of Jesus and you're listening and you're, or you're watching later on or you're here now, it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable that my goal is not to just make you uncomfortable and that you'd storm out. No, no, no. I want to pastor you to a place of what? Reconciliation with Jesus so that you'll understand that for that, for that thing, for that sin, you too can be forgiven, but it is only through Jesus. We can look and go, I can't believe that they would actually be like that. But do you know what the Christians did when all this was happening the Roman culture, and they said, it's fine. You know what, the baby girl, just throw it out. Leave it in the Roman form. Then people can come, and then they can get her or him, and they can turn him into a slave. Or, hey, you can put him in the brothels. Or you, you put him out in the wild, just let wild animals come and eat him. What did the Christians do? They're the ones that started orphanages. They went out, and they brought them back in to care for them as if they were their own. Guys, just in 2020 alone, 930,160 babies were aborted. Are we really all that different? Maybe we've made it a little bit more sterile. It happens in a clinic. And there's even a, a chart, medical history. And this is fine. And you'll get people that will start making excuses and justifications, and one of them is, a, it's just a cell. The guys have a conviction according to the scriptures that every life starts at conception. That's when there is this unique DNA strand of baby born. This is baby conceived in the womb of the mom. And when people go, no, it's just a cell, it just becomes a clump of cells. Isn't it amazing? When it's a baby, it's one cell, nothing else. But when, it's, when it comes to this evolutionary process of the universe being created, everything started from one what? Single cell organism, and that's life. But not in the womb. Oh, how far we have fallen. And so followers of Jesus... Ignite City Church, we will be a church that speaks for those who have no voice. And we will hold to the sanctity of life 
because every person is created in the very image of God and therefore has intrinsic value. This is not a political statement. If you're new and he's like, oh, he's getting political, talk to someone who's been around for a while. I hate politics. Don't give a rip about politics. I want to be about Jesus and what does the word of God say? Every life is valuable, no matter what. Not based upon a choice. So are we really all that different? Now, friends, if you've gone through it and you're a follower of Jesus now, understand, you're forgiven. There's the hope. It's like, no, it can't be that. No, it's that easy. For those of you that have gone through it and you've just been plagued by it for your whole, however long ago it was, you are still holding on to a sin that Jesus paid for, died for, came back from the dead for, and he has forgiven you. You're in Christ, seen as holy as Jesus is. What you can do now is you can release it. You may say, well, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. Then great. Let's find you, let's find you a community to help with that. Let's get you a counselor that will help with that. Let's pray for you, but you're forgiven. You're forgiven. But friends, to ignore this, to be silent on the things that need to be spoken about is sin. And we need to repent from that and not be ashamed, but to be different in the culture the same way the Christians in the first century were. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he expands on it a little bit more in the book of Ephesians, or the letter of the Ephesian church. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, kids need to be trained and brought up in the things of the Lord. They need to be trained. It's not automatic. Remember when you, like, you had your baby and they were sinless until that moment when they showed they did not agree with what you just told them to do and they dug their heels in for the first time and you went, oh, it's on. And what happened to my, this is supposed to be the second Messiah. This is supposed to be anointed one. And they just said no and meant it. Friends, children are supposed to be raised up in the Lord. And so parents, here we go, ready? Ready? Parents, are we as passionate about our children growing up in the Lord as we are their academics, their athletic abilities, their performances, their talents? Are we just as passionate, if not more? Are we more passionate about them knowing Jesus and the things of God than all these other things? Because here's the thing. Raise our kids. And we're all, remember, we're all guessing. We're doing the best that we can. But wouldn't you say that character actually impacts everything. To raise our kids to know the Lord, to train them up into being humble, to be service-oriented, to wanting to care for those who are missed out or they're, or, look, or they're looked over. When you start meeting those kind of kids that are growing up, going, oh my gosh, there's something about that. And what if God gives them great success in academics or sports or uh, theater or whatever, is that, whatever talents they have. Guys, great success without character leads to what? The destruction. That kid gets messed up. Guys, I don't know a lot. Guys, when, when someone hits the NBA at 18 and they're given this contract, think about it, they've had an allowance, 10 bucks a week. 
And all of a sudden they sign this contract for millions a year. I don't know a lot of them sitting there going, I should tithe. I should give a tenth to the church and half to the poor. And I, what if we invest in our, stu- in, our, in our students, in our kids? What if we invest in them for the things of God to train them up in the ways of the Lord? And the other reason is this. You ever notice that talents start to fade a little bit? Guys, I used to be really good at basketball. I'm not anymore. I played, I played basketball with some of the, the, the high schoolers a few weeks ago. And they, they, it was a three on three. And so they said, okay, this is how we're going to roll. 18 plus against the younger than 18. And we're like, okay. And I just thought, I, can, I got this. I got this. Guys, I've already told you. I, played, I tried to play um, capture the flag. And I pulled my calf muscle by turning. I was like, oh, that's done. I'm done. I tried to run a different, whatever else we were playing, and I pulled my hamstring. They're going, my body is not cooperating. And so I said, okay, so let's play. And then uh, about 10 minutes in, they were like winning like 24 to three or 24 to six. And here's the thing, I'm trying to play like an 18 year old again. I'm like trying to out rebound Dylan and he's just jacking me up. Don't tell me I said that. He's like, He's out rebounding me. I'm like, is something holding my feet? Like, why are you higher? Like, I used to dunk. I could dunk. I can't even touch the rim now. So no joke, I jumped one point. It's like, oh, I just felt my knee. I'm like, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Maybe change the tactic. So I thought, I'm going I'm to play like an old man now. I'm not going to try to be a teenager because I'm getting jacked up. So it's like, I'm not jumping that much. I'm kind of laying the, man, I started hitting. I started draining the three. I'm like, he's back. Just a different form. The old man has shown up and we won 50 to like 46. And I went, ah, I can't keep up with a teenager anymore. But if all that I do is focus on those things that I'm good at when I'm young, that when I'm older and I can't do those things, guess what? I don't know who I am. But I grow up in the Lord and my identity's in Jesus. Whatever it is that he brings me to do, I already know who I am. And so what I do just turns into worship of him rather than identity building for me. Do you see the difference? Parents, also this. In order to bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we need to know the Lord and what he says. If I'm going to raise my kids to know Jesus, first I better make sure I know Jesus. And if I'm going to instruct them in the ways of Jesus, I better make sure I know what Jesus actually says. Parents, we got to know what God says. In other words, I bet, you, I bet you know what I'm going to say, huh? Get our faces back in the book. Read the word. Be in the word. So we know what God says so we can actually instill it into our kids. But also get this, the responsibility to parent is on us as parents. The responsibility as parents to raise our children up in the Lord is on us as parents. Alyssa and her team do an incredible job with the kiddos. Absolutely incredible. But they are supplemental to you as parents taking the primary discipleship role in your home to raise your kids, to train them up in the ways of the Lord. Student minister, there's a group of people that just pour into these students. And I'm so blown away by their willingness to serve every week just to pour into them. But they are supplemental to you as the primary and having the primary responsibility 
in raising your children in the instruction in the ways of the Lord. So catch this. We're, we're behind you. We're pulling for you. We'll walk through all this stuff with you. But it's with you, not for you. That's not the responsibility of those who have oversight of those ministries. It's supplemental to back your play. Do you see the difference? So we are here all the time. We want phone calls, emails. How's your kid? How can we encourage him? What are the schedules, sports schedules, especially for youth? What are they? Send them our way. Guys, I've been to so many baseball games and swim meets and basketball games, junior high and high school, and some are amazing. You get there like, oh my gosh, I see one. This is so great. And some of them are not. But when you see that kid on the bench and you're in the stands and they just wave, it's all worth it. We want to, when we do child dedications, remember I always say this, it takes, a, it takes a tribe, it takes the whole community. We're all in this together. Maybe for some of you, you sit there and go, I'm a single parent. There's a whole lot of people in this church that want to help fill a role where we can. Some say, I don't, I don't like my kids don't have a grandparent, they don't have any grandparents you got some older people in this church who would love to be grandparents to your kids. It works, friends, because this is the family of God, not just, quote-unquote, church. This is the community brought together to fulfill the purpose of the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. Let us fill in places where we can. So as we close, I promise. One thing to remember, one, we train up our kids to know and follow Jesus. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to say this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, it's talking about discipline and how God takes us through times of discipline. And you know the reason that God takes us through times of discipline? Because he loves us enough to train us up. He says, any parent who doesn't discipline, it's like their kids are illegitimate. Every parent is supposed to discipline. And then those of us who've gone through discipline, we look and go, we look at our parents and say, I respect you. At least hopefully if they did it somewhat well. God's saying, you got to trust me in the times of discipline. But what it does, it points to me, hey, God, as Father, you're disciplining me. God, give me wisdom that I might discipline and train up my kids in a healthy and great way. That they could look back on their life and go, okay, I didn't like every part of that. But man, I respect my dad. Or I respect my mom because, well, they, they did it well. And I guess we're all guessing along the way. But we're all learning, hopefully, especially from those who've gone before us. So we train them up to know Jesus. The next thing is we strive to model our Heavenly Father well by who we are and how we parent. Here's what I want you to do. At some point today, read Psalm 103, 8 to 14. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14, and look at who it is that God is. Look at what he's like. And as parents, we should be striving for this merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding and steadfast love. Doesn't deal with us according to our sins. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. As the father shows compassion to his child, so God shows compassion to us because he remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. As parents, what if we took on the qualities, the character qualities of God? He's the father. We go after him. We take our cue from him in order that we might pour into those that God has entrusted to us. And like I said before, I say this again, and the worship team can come back up. Remember, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Friends, may we never let pride get in the way. We sit there go, I can't ask anybody about this. I can't really tell anybody how frustrated I am as a parent right now because I don't know what to do. May the pride drop and we all just come together and go, I don't know what I'm doing. What did you do? What did you do? What did you do? Guys, I knew home church was going to be great. 
The first night when Kelly walked up to our host, Laura, um, Laura Day Quill, and said, hey, you've got four kids out of the house. We, we really like your kids. What did you do? Like pour into us so we can learn. Not so we can mimic and just do. Just pour into us. Give us some Give us some wisdom. Give us some little tidbits of stuff that we can apply. Why? Because we want our kids to grow up healthy and responsible and loving Jesus and let's learn from each other. None of this, I've got this. I've read 44 books. Learn from the books. But if all of a sudden some of those things aren't working, walk up to somebody and say, what would you do or what did you do? Without judgment. Without judgment. Children, obey your parents and Lord for this is Right? Fathers, moms, don't provoke our kids. Let's not provoke our kids to anger just to frustrate them because we can. And may we stand for and speak out for the unborn. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being an incredible father to us. Thank you. And then may we mimic you and how we raise our kids. No matter how old, how we raise our kids. God, I get that when they're younger, we should be parenting them different when they're younger than when they're adults. As parents, God, give us wisdom on when that is and how that works. God, protect our kids. Help us train them up in the ways of the Lord that they would love Jesus. Protect them from the influences of the world. It just seems a little bit out of, out of whack right now. Help us teach truth and show love. God, for those who are here this morning, that they're still waiting, God, when they get to be parents. Pray that you give them hope. God, thank you. Thanks for speaking things into our lives, big theological concepts and principles as well as very practical things to help us to be people who are after your heart. God, we love you. Be pleased as we sing this last song to you in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Whatever who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.